Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to continue in the book of Ecclesiastes today. Uh, we are in chapter 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And uh, we, are, we are almost through the entire book. We only have uh, one, one message left after this. It uh, should, uh, should be next week. But throughout these last few chapters, we, we've been listening to the preacher who is Solomon. He's been giving us a, a picture of what life is like under the sun, a picture of what reality is like under the sun. And so when we say under the sun, we mean just, just this earthly world that we live in, um, the, the world that, that we are left to, to live with. We, we live in a fallen world. Sin has come into our world and has corrupted every, every part, every existence of this world. And, and, but we, we still have to live in this world, right? We, we do life every day. We, we go to uh, our jobs. We, we live with, in neighborhoods, and we talk with neighbors, and we, we do life under the sun. And so Solomon has been writing, and he's been talking about um, just what life is like under the sun. He's been giving some advice, some parables, and so uh, we're, we're just been walking through those different things. And so we're going to continue on uh, looking at that today. And today we're going to be looking more about uh, how we should approach the many unknowns in our life. And there's a lot of unknowns that we, we have in lives, and so uh, Solomon's going to be talking to uh, just some of those things in, in a couple specific areas, uh, namely uh, wealth, uh, what, what to do with your money, and then also the, the whole part about aging and death and the unknowns that, that, are, that exist within there. And so would you uh, go ahead and turn with me? And actually, before I start reading, I'll have to go ahead and open us up in prayer, if you would. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that, uh, that as we read your word, that you would speak to us. Lord, each and every one of us are in here uh, in different stages, different aspects of our lives. Some of us, there could be some people here today that are hurting. There's things in their lives that, that have have not went the way they've wanted, and they're, they're hurting. Lord, I pray you give comfort today. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's searching, Lord, that they don't know you as Savior, that they're, they're living their lives for themselves, I pray you would convict them of that sin, and you would draw them to yourself today, Lord. Lord, I pray for, for those who need encouragement, that you would give encouragement today. Lord, I pray that you uh, will just, would you just speak to us today, not through my voice, not through anything I say, but through just your Holy Scripture today. I pray that you will have your way in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the first six verses, and then we'll, we'll come back through and, and look at those again. Verse 1, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. 
for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Well, as we approach these Proverbs, you know, we have to kind of understand that uh, sometimes they're, they're Proverbs. They're written a little different, uh, and so we kind of have to do some kind of work to understand them a little bit. And so uh, that's, what we've, that's what I've had to wrestle with this week, and that's what we're going to do today. This, this very first verse is one that just, it just caused me some grief this week. As I read it, you know, obviously I don't think it's actually talking about throwing actual bread in water. I don't think that's what it's actually talking about. And so, you know, I've searched out some commentaries. And I, commentaries are usually helpful in, in helping do interpretive work of what is the scriptures, what are they really fleshing out here. So I read, read some commentaries, and, well, they didn't agree on what these verses were talking about. One of them literally just said that there's no modern English equivalent to this verse. So that was very helpful as I read that. But it came down to the fact that there's really two kind of interpretations on, on, this, on this verse. One of them is a little more traditional. One of them, if you go to read a lot of the church fathers, if you read a lot of, uh, of our um, guys in church history, a lot of them kind of have settled on this first one. And that's that this is, this is, these first two verses are about generosity, and that when you are casting your bread upon the waters, the, your bread is your money, and that you should, be, you should be generous in your giving. You should be giving to others. You should be giving... It should be a giving people. And then that you will find it would be referring to uh, spiritual blessings, that, that God is going to bless you in return. It, that could, blessing could be here on earth. It could be heavenly blessings. You, you don't know, but you'll, you will find it. And so it's talking about giving it away. And so if you're giving it away, you know, give a portion to seven. In the scriptures, the number seven usually refers to an all or completion. And so if you're, if you're giving away, you know, you're giving to seven, you're, you're giving well. But if you're giving to eight, then you're giving abundantly. You're, you're a generous giver. So that's usually the, the traditional uh, way to do that. However, I actually don't, don't think that's the uh, interpretation that's going there. But if that's the one you hold to, uh, it, is, it is, of course, supported with Scripture. Us being a giving people is supported in Scripture. Of course, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the idea that, that we as a people of God should be a giving people is a scriptural thing. It is a scriptural mandate. It is in scripture for us to be giving. And so, uh, of course, that interpretation has um, validity in that. But based upon, like, the context of the last, the last chapter and where we are today, uh, I, I believe the, the other interpretation, which is also about money, which is also about our wealth, I believe it to be a, a more accurate uh, interpretation for this, this verse. So I believe it's still talking about money. When we talk about cast your bread upon the waters, we're talking about money that, that you already have. And if we, if we look back to chapter 10, I think it gives some insight on, on how we come to this conclusion. In chapter 10, verse 19, this is like way too high or something. So verse 19 says, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now, we know that that money answers everything does not mean that money is the answer to every single one of your problems. But it does, it does mean that if bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life, that those things are good. We are to enjoy the food and drink that God has provided to his creation. We are to enjoy that. 
Well, it does take money to get those things. Money does answer some problems. We do need money to do life. We provide for our families. Uh, we, we feed our families. We, we, uh, house our, we give a product house for our families. We do those things with money. Um, and so we do need money. And so if you follow that train of thought of if, if, you, if you work hard, you work in, a, in an appropriate manner that is glorifying to the Lord, and you do have money so you can enjoy life through food and drink, then we want to be responsible with our money. And so I, I believe this, when we're talking about when you cast your bread upon the waters, we're talking about, you know, how, how do you spend your money? How do you invest your money? What do you do with it when you have it? And we're talking about being, in, kind of diversifying your portfolio a little bit here. Uh, Solomon actually did this. So if we look back at 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 9, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Uh, 1 Kings 9, verse 26 says this, King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Azion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon, and they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. So we look at the fact that this is how, this is how Solomon used his wealth. He, he didn't just say, okay, I have, I have all this wealth, I have this land, I'm just going to, to farm right here, I'm just going to do that. He, he had products from different lands, he had these things, and so he sent them out. And he took risk in what he did with his money. And at that time, Israel, of course, was a, was a vibrant nation. They were uh, becoming a, a, a pretty large nation in the world. But they weren't really, they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, sea trade. And so Solomon knew it would be risky to go out and, and, and do uh, trading by sea. And so he sent out uh, to this King Hiram. And this King Hiram, they were known for the fact that they, they were good traders. They were known for their trading. And so he had an alliance with them. And, and they sent their experienced seamen to Solomon and, and, and through that experience, then they were able to take part in trading. And so when we see the caster bread upon the waters, it's taking the goods that you have. And if you think about supply and demand, you know, you may have a lot of your supply, but the demand may be low because there's a lot of it. But if you send it out on, in, on ships and trade, you may be able to take what you have that's not, very, not worth a lot to you, but it could be very valuable to other people. And so you, you send those things out in ships. However you don't get an immediate return. There's, there's a risk factor there. Um, obviously, it's possible for those ships not to return. So there, there's a risk factor. You don't know what kind of weather could happen, uh, the experience of your sailors, anything that could happen, something could happen when they get there, and, and they could not come back. So there's a risk there involved. So it's a calculated risk. It's a, it's a wise risk. There's a risk in doing this but the reward, it could be, could be worth it. The reward could be great. And so to, to take part in these risks, you want to take calculated risk, you want to take wise risk, and so that's why he got help. Uh, and then he didn't, you don't get an immediate reward. It says you will find it after many days. You're not going to just get an immediate reward in trading. It takes a long time for that ship to, to actually, probably it takes a long time to load up, send it off, trade, and then come back. And usually it took a couple years for this trade to actually take place. But when it came back, if you look at 1 Kings, it came back with gold, 420 talents, 
And so it came back loaded. Whatever they sent, whatever they traded, they were able to get uh, a very good re return on their investment. And so I believe when we talk about what we're supposed to do, we're looking here about when we have our wealth, diversify it. Don't, don't do it all in one thing. And so I think Solomon's giving some very wise counsel here on how we can uh, approach our money. So he, that's how he starts it, that it, it's, a, it's a valuable thing to, to take wise risk with your money. Don't, be, don't just say, okay, this is the riskiest thing possible. I'm putting it all in that. Don't, don't, don't do that. He says, very wise risk. Do your research. Do your homework. And then take calculated risk uh, that will, and then be patient for the reward that comes with that. Then he moves on to verse 2. It says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. As we come to this verse, this, this phrase is, is probably better well known in the phrase of don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you put all your eggs in one basket and something happens to that basket, then what happens to all your eggs? Probably something not good, right? I mean, if, if you have all of your eggs in one basket and then you, you lose that basket or something destroys that basket, then you've, you've lost all your eggs. And so when we're talking about wealth and diversifying the wealth that you have, you know, he's saying it's, it's wise to diversify that. To, to spread that out amongst different, different areas. And I, I have to be honest with you as, as we approach these subjects, this is why we, we preach through the scriptures, because if I was to pick a, a topic to preach on, this would not be it. Because frankly, I'm not a money guy. You know, for me, to, to, I, can, I see the wisdom in here, but I'm going to take the advice of seeking out counsel. I'm going to seek out that, that experienced person that, that knows about uh, diversification and, and can do these things and has that wisdom. But Solomon here is saying it is a wise thing to do with your money. Don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, be, be smart with it. Because he says here, this is why you don't, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If you, if you were, if he would, if Solomon did, would have said, okay, I'm going to put all of my wealth into this farm. I'm going to spend it all here. And then, it, and then that farm floods. Then, then Solomon would, would have taken an unwise approach because he would, he would have nothing to show for it. And so what he's saying is, is he's like, put some of it here and then, and then spread it out. Spread out in different areas and, and seek to, to see which areas are going to be profitable and, and be, be acceptable to taking some risk. Because you don't know which disaster is going to happen because disasters will happen, right? Disasters do happen and so you need to be okay with that. And you need to be okay with the fact that when disasters do happen, that there's probably going to be some loss. But because you didn't have all your eggs in one basket, because you spread it out to seven or to eight, then, then you, are, you are safeguarded by that. Now, some of those things aren't direct parallels today, but there are some things that we can take from that. We could take from that that, that maybe, I, I don't, maybe I don't have... The, this big diverse portfolio, but I do know that disasters can happen. And so it's a wise thing maybe to have insurance on your house, on your things that you own, on your, on your life. Ha have things that can, can protect the assets that you do have. You know, what's interesting as we read this, 
one of the things I thought when I, when I first read this was is that we know that what disaster may happen on earth. And, and I, when I hear that, I immediately think of natural disasters. What's interesting is, is, is we, we live in a culture today where, where everything is under attack. And, and I never really thought I was going to experience this in my lifetime, but natural disasters are under attack in our culture today. I, mean, I, I don't know, maybe you've seen this, but, but our culture is trying to take natural disasters out of the hands of a mighty and sovereign God, and they weren't, they're trying to put them in the hands and say, people are responsible for these disasters. People are responsible for, for this. And, and, if, and if, you, if you change this, if you change that, then, then these disasters will stop. These disasters will, will not be as bad. But natural disasters have always happened. Solomon had lived a long time ago, 3,000 years ago, a little less than 3,000 years ago. And, and he had natural disasters. We see disasters all throughout the text of Scripture and they're in the hands of a mighty God. They're in the hands of a God that is sovereign and a God that is good and a God that has plans and a God that has purposes. And so we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to lose sight of the fact that, that yes, there are disasters. We want to have that in our mind of, of knowing that it is a reality in the fallen world that we live in. But we don't want everyone to say, okay, there are disasters, but, but people now can control that. People now have have the ability to, to thwart that or to change a possibly a disaster. What we need to do is we need to trust in God. We need to trust in uh, his work and what he is doing. So we don't live in fear, but we trust God in the things that we don't know. It, it is, it is nerve-wracking, it is scary to put, to put your trust in something, even, even when it comes to um, our livelihoods and our wealth or things like that, things that we maybe not... We can't know the outcome. Things that do have a little risk, but we can trust God in that outcome. We can trust that, that he has it under control. If we've done the research, we've done the part of, of getting experienced help. We can know that this risk is acceptable and we can trust God in, in whatever uh, he decides to do with that outcome. So Solomon says to take wise, appropriate risk and to invest in different things. And then he moves on to verse three. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Those verses mean exactly what they sound like they're saying. So, clouds are full of rain, then it rains. It's supposed to be an obvious statement because some things in this life are unavoidable. If you, if you look out, if the weatherman says, hey, there's a 100% chance of rain today. If you walk outside and you look up and the clouds are as dark as can be, it's going to rain. When God has made our world to function in the way that he has designed it, and we can predict those things, and we can look up and say, okay, if those clouds are full of rain, then it's going to rain. Know that it, that it is going to happen. It's unavoidable. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, if a tree falls over, it's, it's dead, it's, it's completely over, roots everything out, it, it's out. You can't stand it back up again. You can't take that tree and stand it back up and, and just expect it to be a live, vibrant, growing tree again. It is what it is. It has fallen. You can't, you can't change the fact that it has fallen. Now, I once saw a tree kind of fall over and then it kind of did go back up, but the roots were still there, so that's not what I'm talking about. But if it 
all the way over, dead, you, you can't fix it. It's not something that can be, that can be fixed. So unavoidable things are going to happen. Things in life, sometimes you just you can't avoid it. There's, even disasters sometimes are unavoidable. And, and they can be setbacks. They can be, there are things that you don't want to happen. There are things that, that man, I, just, I really didn't want that to happen. But sometimes they're unavoidable. And so we really had different responses to that. We can either really dwell on the fact that that wasn't supposed to happen, that that was a terrible thing, or we can trust God in that. We can trust God in, in what he's doing. We can trust God in the process. We can trust God that, that his plans and purposes are going to prevail. But at the same time, knowing that it, it's unavoidable, knowing that things are just going to happen in life, that, that there are going to be times when, when, when things happen, there's going to be rain, there's going to be storms, there's going to be disasters. Knowing that happen, that happens, it helps you plan your ways. It helps you plan accordingly to the things that you're going to do. It also helps you make good decisions. If, you, if you're a roofer and you walk outside and, and the, the weatherman says it's going to rain and you walk outside and it looks like rain, it would be a bad idea to go ahead and start ripping shingles off of a house. That's going to be a bad idea because the clouds are going to be full, they're going to rain, and it's going to ruin your job site. It's going to ruin the work that you've done. And so this allows us to make wise decisions, knowing that some of these things are avoidable, and then we can, we can correct our course. Maybe we don't do an outside project that day. We work on the inside of the house, or we do a, we do a job where you can get wet. Um, there, there are decisions we can make where we can accept what's going to happen, and we can... Uh, we can move on from there. We don't have to dwell on the unavoidable things in life. We don't have to dwell on these, these setbacks in life and say, well, if that never would have happened, then I would, that would be this. Well, if, if, if this thing wouldn't have happened, then, then whatever. We, we are able to, to kind of move past them. And of course, at the same time, if, you're, if your eggs aren't in your basket, all in one basket, then you're not, you're not all reliant on that one thing. You're not all, you're not completely sold to, I have to have that. Your, your life doesn't depend on that one thing. If you're able to, to spread things out and, and kind of diversify the, the activities that you are, are engaging in. Now in verse 4 he says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So if you, if you understand that, that sometimes things are just unavoidable, disasters, they just they come into our lives. I mean, we, we see, we live in a world where right now we, we've had hurricanes, we've had tornadoes, we've had forest fires. Disasters happen. We know those things are coming. We, we know those things uh, can be terrible for the, for the people that are impacted by it. Uh, they, are, they are huge disasters in people's lives. When you know that that is a possibility, when you know that, that they're out there, sometimes this leads to fear. Sometimes this leads into a, a fear of the possibility of what could happen. And, and when you have the fear of the possibility of what could happen, sometimes it kind of freezes you. Sometimes it leads to inactivity. If you're, if you're scared it's going to rain, you'll never go outside. Sometimes if you're, if you're scared of the storm that could happen in your life, that you'll You'll just stay frozen. You won't ever act on the things that you're supposed to act on. When I was in school, I attempted to play basketball. 
And in eighth grade, I was, I was on the team, and I wasn't like a starter or anything. I was like eighth man or something like that. I don't even know. I don't think that's actually a, a thing to call that. But I'm calling it that because it sounded better. And, you know, our team was pretty good. We got third in state that year in junior high. And then, so we're going to high school. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try out for the team, you know. I went to the basketball camp that year, and I got some award for shooting free throws. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's decent. But I had this issue. I was the smallest kid in my class. I was 5'3". I may, maybe weighed 110 pounds. I don't know. I was tiny. And so I, we'd go to these camps, and, and then we had, a, we had a Catholic school in town. Well, they, like, went to state that same year. So those kids were coming into high school. We had... Two kids transferred from El Verado because uh, they were terrible, but they came to Ducoin. Sorry, Amber. <laughs> Actually, they went to state that year too. But so, so I had I had I had this knowledge of the fact that, okay, these kids from Sacred Heart were coming in, these kids from El Verado were coming in. We already had our own team, and I began to kind of calculate in my head what could happen here. I was like eighth man, whatever you want to call that. What that means is there was only two people on the bench after me. That's what that means. But so I was thinking, okay, now surely some people on their starting five were better than me, right? So I'm kind of calculating in my head of what could happen here. And, uh, and then I went to a basketball camp during the summer, and I was there shooting around. And, and uh, for some reason, I was down the other end of the court playing with, with Nick Hill. I don't know if you know Nick. He's the SIU football coach now. He's two years younger than me. He's bigger than me, but he's two years younger than me. And we're down there playing, and the coach says, come on over, guys. And he's like, and at the end of practice, he says, okay, now next practice, I want just the freshman here. And he's looking right at me. I am a freshman, but I'm so small, he doesn't think I'm a freshman. And so I, I'm putting all this together, and I'm, I'm weighing it in my head of like, should I try out for this team? I, I, I've never not made it before, but... And so the fear of, of getting cut from this basketball team caused me to not try out. And I was so terrified of, of the coach saying, you didn't make the team, that I didn't even try out. I didn't attend the tryouts. The coaches came with me afterwards, like, hey, after you didn't try out, you know, you won an award at camp. And I'm like, I don't, don't want to play. I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play. I don't, I don't like basketball anymore. All of that was a lie. The, the, the truth was is I was so scared of the possibility that I, I was frozen. That, it, that fear led to complete inactivity. And so I, I never went out for basketball again. And I did finally grow, as you can tell. But that part took forever. But that fear in my heart, that fear of, of the unknown, that fear of what could possibly happen, caused me to just stay still. It caused me to not put out any effort. It caused me to to not uh, actually attempt to do anything. We have a lot of people right now that are saying that because there's a possibility of getting a virus, that we should close down businesses, that we should not work. And, and Solomon say, is saying the exact opposite here. He's saying that because there's a possibility of something is not a reason to not work possibility of, of, of a threat happening to you is not a, re, a valid reason to not do your job. So a possibility of getting a virus is not a reason to shut down businesses. It's not a reason to say, oh, I can't work, I can't work anymore. I can't, 
can't do this. Now, we're talking about people who have the ability to work, people that, that are in the situations where they, they can work. You know, they're, they're healthy enough to hold that job that, that, can, that can do that work. If you put off work because of fear, then you're never going to sow. You're never going to reap. And if you continue to do that, you're not going to be able to provide for your family. You're not going to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. And so we need to not let that fear penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, and actually cause us to inactivity. We want to be people who, who understand the possibility of, of danger, understand the possibility of, of setbacks, understand the possibility of disasters, but understand those possibilities and then step forward towards the, that work that they're called to. Whether it's, it's your job, whether it's, it's your calling, whether it's, it's a ministry that you're a part of, we want to understand all of the things that are around us, know the risk, and, and, and step out into faith. Because ultimately, we're not concerned about the successes that, that we can actually do with our might. We're concerned with what is, what is God doing with the work that he has called us to. What is, what is he doing in, in, in our circles? What is he doing in our jobs? What is he doing with these plans and purposes that he has created for us? So we need to remember that as we, as we walk things out. Look at me with verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You know, we have more scientific advances now than we've ever had throughout history. We know more about our bodies. We know more about reproduction. We know more about all of that than we've ever known. However, there's still so much mystery there. There's still so much thing, so many things that we don't understand. And so uh, Dwayne Garrett is actually my Hebrew professor. He says this. He says, pregnancy is the supreme example of a human endeavor, the results of which are out of human control. Having children is a human endeavor, right? But the results we, we don't have a control over. We can know the process. We can know everything, ins and outs of, of what, what there is. We, we have the ultrasounds. We have the technology. We have scientific advances. But ultimately, the, the outcome is not in our control. It's in control of God. And, and, and we've seen this. You know, uh, we've seen some that have no issues at all. That they seem like they get pregnant at that. Snap of a finger. Amber and I, we, uh, we try for years to get pregnant. And when you, when you try for years to get pregnant, you, you notice things like that. You notice the, the ones who, who uh, have never had any kind of uh, difficulty. And then there's some, uh, we would be in this category, that we, we sought after medical help. And through medical help, we were able to, to have children. But again, the outcome was not on human control. The outcome was still on God. And then, of course, we know some who, even through medical research and medical uh, advances, still are unable to, to have children. So we, we, we understand this concept that this, this idea of pregnancy is a human endeavor, but, but the control is, is fully up to God. And so we understand that there are mysteries in life. We understand that there are things that we don't understand. And so when we don't understand things, Again, we, we could turn to, to complaining. We could turn to, to, to talking about how this isn't right. We could, ultimately, 
we have to trust in God. Ultimately, we have to say, okay, God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand these mysteries in this life. But I'm going to trust in you. All the events we don't understand, the disasters, all the things that we don't understand, he does. And we can trust that he is working according to his plans and purposes. Let's continue on. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both will be both alike will be good. You know, we see that, that uh, throughout all these risks, throughout all these things where, where we have our, our lives in so many different places, Solomon here is advising us to be persistent in our work. If we have several endeavors that we're trying, we have, we have, we're, we're diversifying our, the things that we're involved in, it may be tempting to say, uh... I gave that one a good shot. I'm done with that. Uh, I gave that one a good week. It's out. Um, so what he's saying here is we've got to be persistent. When, we, when, we're, when we're spreading out our endeavors, when we're spreading out and we're being, when we are diversifying, we have to give each one of those its due diligence. We've got to, to work in those, give it the work that's required, and give it the time that's required. We need to be patient in those things. I think back to Solomon's trade. I'm sure two years into that cargo ship being gone, many people thought, that ship is not coming back. It is gone. Pirates got it or something. I don't know if there was pirates then, but it's gone. Never done a theology of pirates, so I you know, probably should do that sometime. But it's not coming back. But persistence, the ship did return. The ship did come back with cargo that had a greater reward than what they... Um, what they sent out on. The reward was great. When we think about these risks in life, all parts of our lives have risks. All parts of our lives. There's risk in life. There's risk in, in ministry, the things that God's called us to. There's risk in, in using our spiritual gifts for the Lord. There's risk in, in giving our testimony to other people. There's risk in sharing our faith to non-believers. There's risk in giving our finances to the church and to ministries. There's risk in, in, in being involved in a small group. There's risk in, in opening up to someone who you don't know very well in discipleship and saying, I'm going to open book to you. I'm going to share my struggles with you. There's risk in that. And our hearts normally, our natural hearts say, we need to play it safe. We need to play it safe. We need to not take those risks. But scripture is saying that we should take wise risk. We should take rise, wise risk in order to glorify God. That to glorify God, we should be able to put ourselves out there. We should put ourselves in, in uh, risky situations that, that may seem risky to us because there's so many unknowns out there. There's so many unknowns in our lives, but we can trust in God. We can trust in God with the things that he has he's given us. We can trust in God with the, the situations he's put us in, and we can live our lives in the best way possible to glorify him. So I think for all of us, that's going to look differently. I mean, all of us, you know, maybe, maybe it is, we, we, we hear this and we say, okay, I need to, I need to be more practical with, with my money, with our wealth. I need, to, I need to actually diversify some things. I need to not put it um, all in one basket. Or maybe, maybe you've been living in a situation where, you know, you don't have any safeguards for disasters in your life. Maybe you need to, to seek out and get insurance on some things in your, in your lives. Maybe you need to, maybe you've been living in a, in a 
spot where you've not wanted to put yourself out there, so maybe you need to join a small group. You need to, to come alongside other believers and, and be able to, to share your life with them so they can share their life with you, the encouragement that they can give to you. So many things where, where, where God is calling us to, to take appropriate risk, we need to step out into faith and do that. Let's continue on to the next part. Read with me in verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that all the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. As we kind of enter this next section here, Solomon kind of transitions away from from handling our wealth, handling our time, and he moves into a a section where he talks about aging and youth and and the reality of of aging and, of course, the reality of, of death. And as we see these, per, these pictures and he uses these, these proverbs, we see that when he talks about light, he's talking about life, the, the, the blessing of life that we had. And when he t- talks about darkness, he's talking about death. So if, if a person has many years, let him rejoice in that. That was uh, verse 9 or verse 8 there. So he, he starts off this section by saying that being alive is a good thing. Light is sweet. Life is sweet. Life is abundant. Life is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if you're alive today, it's a good thing. And last time I checked, that's everybody sitting out here right now. I don't know why, but when I read that this week, I needed that reminder. Because when I look back at my, my week or weeks before, there's things that went wrong in my week. There's things that, that happened in ways that didn't want it to happen. I watched that terrible debate this week. I mean, there's been problems at work every now and then. There's problems in family. There's problems in our country. And, and all of that is weighty. All of that just kind of seems to, to bear down on us at times. And I needed that reminder that, that life is sweet. Life is a good thing. And I think it would be useful here to pause and say, this is why we fight for the unborn. The scriptures are clear about life. Life b- begins in the womb, and that, light, that life is worth fighting for. In our, in our world today, the, their lives, the lives of the unborn, just, just don't seem to matter. And the scripture is saying they do. The life that has been breathed into them by God is being, it's being snuffed out, it's being taken away. Their, their life as a sweet life, their life that is, that is pleasing to the eyes, it's just being snuffed out. And, and they don't have the ability to fight for themselves. Their voices aren't, can't be heard. And so we need to take that fight up for them. And this is why, this is why pro-life is not a, not a political stance. Being pro-life, being from the womb and beyond is a, is a biblical stance. And so we need to, to understand that all life is sweet. All life is. It's very interesting that, that he doesn't put any kind of age distinction on this. 
So life in the womb is sweet. Life as a child is sweet. As an adult, even when you're older and elderly, and, you, and you, you, you've lived life, and there's things in your life where maybe it doesn't feel as sweet as it is, it is still sweet. It is pleasing to the eyes. So it's interesting that he doesn't put any qualifications on that at all. Then he calls us, after he mentions that life is a good thing, it's sweet, he calls us to rejoice in the days that we have. Don't know how many years you're going to have. We don't know how many days any of us are going to have on this earth. And so we are called to rejoice in however many we have. If, if you are, are blessed to live a, a long life, rejoice in, in the long life that you've been given. If you're here today and, and you're, you're not considered very old, maybe you're considered young, rejoice in the days that you have. Rejoice in the days that God has given you. And he, and he kind of brings it in perspective a little bit by saying that the days of darkness, which day, days of darkness are, are not old age, like some people have said in the past, but the days of darkness is, is death. That, that they're, they're the physical death. The days of your physical death, the days that you actually spend dead, are going to far outweigh the number of days that you're alive. It doesn't matter how old you get to live in this life, the days that you're dead are going to vastly outweigh that. And so he wants to put that in perspective. He wants to put that in perspective to look, no matter how long you think you've been alive, your life is short. We only have so many years on this earth. We only have so many years to do the things that God has called us to do. We only have so many years to, to rejoice in the things that God has given us. I've noticed that when you're younger, you, you have a hard time kind of understanding that, that life is short. I remember uh, when I was younger, I really was struggling with some things in my life, and, and I was really torn between the idea of, of following Jesus, which to me at this time, when I was kind of stuck in a legalism track, it, it didn't seem fun to me. It seemed like I had to obey all these rules. And I was torn between that because, you know, I kind of wanted heaven. I kind of wanted the end game on that one. But then I was torn between what looked like fun. I knew people that were uh, partying and, and doing um, things that, that uh, I knew as a Christian I, I couldn't do. I knew that, that looked fun to me. It looked enjoyable to me. And so I was torn between this. And, and there was times in my life where I thought, you know, I've got a long time to live. So why can't I maybe do these things now? And then after I'm, after I'm older and I can't uh, be as wild as I could, why can't I do all that fun stuff then? And then after I've done all that fun stuff, then I'll, then I'll turn to Christ. Then I will choose Christ because I, I will think about that testimony I'll have. I mean, I've really played this up in my head. I mean, I'll have a good testimony of coming from that to this. And, and I, it, I was so, so lost in that. Because we're not guaranteed our days. And, and what I thought was enjoyment was not enjoyment. Joy only comes from the Lord. And I didn't understand that, but I thought, I thought I had all this time. I thought that what was out there as being old Adam, which is getting closer to now, well, it's out there. 
I'm a long way from that. So, so Solomon says that uh, our, our lives are, are short and that everything that happens here on earth, it's all vanity. So it means everything that happens in our lives is fleeting. The reality is, is, is that all the successes that we could have, all of the failures that we have, all of the disasters that happen in our life, all those things are fleeting anyway. They're all, they're all vanity. They're all going to stop. No, no one's going to, they're all going to be forgotten once we're dead. And, and this reality, it, it can kind of sound like a big bummer, but it's, but it's meant to encourage us. It's meant to, to change the way we live. We want to have this reality of, of death being out there. We want to have this reality that we're only here for a short time because that needs to change the way we live our lives and, and who we're living our lives for. Let's continue on. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So we are called to enjoy life. Many of us think that uh, to really enjoy life, we need to get to that next chapter of our lives. No matter what chapter you're in right now, there's probably been times in your life when you thought, well, the next chapter is when I really get to enjoy life. When, when you're younger, you think, man, if I just had my driver's license, then I could enjoy life. Well, then you get your driver's license and you think, okay, well, when I get to college, then I'm going to get to enjoy life. And then you're in college and you realize you were really wrong back then because you got no money, right? So then you think, okay, when I, get a, when I graduate college and I get a really good paying job, then I'm going to enjoy life. Then I'm going to really enjoy the things that God has given me. Then you, then you get there. Then you're like, well, if I had a family. Then you get a family, and you think, okay, well, I'm retired. And so whatever chapter you're in, it's, it's always tempting to say, okay, but, but the next chapter is where it's really going to be at. The next chapter is where I'm really going to get to enjoy the things that God has given me. And Solomon is saying, no, wherever you are right now, whatever chapter you're in, whatever stage of life you, you are in right now, it is a good thing that you're in that stage, and enjoy it. Enjoy your childhood. Enjoy your teen years. Enjoy your college days. Enjoy every aspect of life that God gives you, because that life is short. And so enjoy that. Don't wait on that next chapter to enjoy life. God has given us this life to enjoy it, and we should enjoy it now. Have you ever had young kids? That's what most of you have. If you've had young kids, there's been times in your life when you've been tired, right? Maybe the whole time. But it, I, well, I've noticed one thing about having young kids. If you've been around somebody who has young kids, at some point, if you, if, maybe you haven't done this, but I have, you've, maybe you've said something about being tired, or you've maybe said something that, was a complaint or sound like a complaint to someone who is far removed from that chapter. You've said something, but man, I'm just, I'm never going to get to sleep again. Or oh, these kids are just, man, there's just chaos in my house 24-7. And you've said that to someone who, who doesn't have young kids anymore. The kids are grown and maybe out of the house. And you know, the answer I get, I've gotten back to that, that comment has almost always been almost the same thing. And it's usually something along the lines of, don't wish that away. Enjoy that chapter of your life. 
Enjoy your kids. Enjoy every moment of that. Because they're going to be gone someday. Not you guys. You guys are all staying in my house forever. <laughs> Just kidding. 18, you're out. But that's the, that's the reality is, is when you're in that stage, you don't, you don't see it sometimes. And because you don't see it, there may be opportunities where you don't enjoy it. You don't, you're not rejoicing in the days that God has given you. And, and Solomon here is saying, it's going to happen. And then you're going to miss the things that, that you had. You're going to miss the times that, that you didn't realize they were such a blessing by God. And God has, has blessed you and you didn't even realize at the time. How much sweeter would it be if we can rejoice in the things that God has given us at the, at the time that he has given us that? Now, as he's saying here about uh, acting, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, you can take that statement and say, okay, I'm going to do everything that my heart desires. And if you read that from a, a worldly standpoint, that that's going to be whatever your selfish heart desires. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go towards things that don't honor God. You're going to do things that God did not, does not command you to do. And you're going to do things that are sin and licensed to sin. That is not what, what this text is saying. Because he, Solomon grounds it in the fact that all of your actions, all of the things that you do, all of, the, all of the things that you walk in, they're all going to be judged by God. See, true joy in this life is living this life in obedience to God, trusting in Jesus and living our lives in obedience to God. And then he says that we can't enjoy this life unless we remove vexation from our heart and we can't put away pain. So when he says you can't, you have to remove sorrow. You have to remove the vexation from your heart. Our, our youth, our time as, as young people, it's going to fade. And we can either rejoice and enjoy the time we have, or we can stay so fixated on being younger that we don't ever get to enjoy it. You can, say, you can stay so fixated on, on one thing that you don't ever actually get to enjoy the thing that you are in. So Solomon is saying is don't, don't, don't idolize in the fact that you're going to get older at some point. Don't idolize youth to the point where you don't ever get to enjoy your youth. So remove that sorrow from your heart. Remove the sorrow of the fact that your, your youth is going to, to go away at some point. Then we need to remove pain from our body. Interesting here, the word that they're translating for pain is actually the word for evil. You want to enjoy life? You need to remove sin from your lives. If you want to really enjoy life, this is the part that I didn't get when I was younger at certain parts. You want to really enjoy life? Do the things that please God. Remove sin from your life. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. As we think about these words from Solomon, you know, we have an advantage. We can read these words through the lens of the entirety of scriptures because it'd be really tempting to read these words and think, there's a lot of good advice here. I can diversify my portfolio and, and, and be, uh, be better financially without Jesus. I can, I can live in a way that, that uh, re, um, I can enjoy life at all these different stages. I can do all that without Jesus. There's a way to read this where you can say, okay, this is life under the sun. Solomon is giving wisdom to, to everyone. And so there's a way to read this and say, I, I don't need Jesus for this. I can do all this. But the reality is, is that's not true. You can read it that way, 
but that'd be foolish. Because to really do the things that your heart desires, to really do the things that are pleasing to your eyes, you need to have a heart that's been changed. The reality is, is that, that we're all sinners. We're all sinners, and so if we were to really choose the things that we want, really choose the things we want by, by our natural desires, we would choose ourselves. We would choose sin. We would choose the things that don't please God, but they would please us. And so we need, we need a Savior. So if we realize we're sinners, and we repent of our sins, and we trust in the finished work of Christ, then we have the ability to walk in the ways of our heart and are able to trust in the sight of our eyes. When we trust in Christ and seek to live a joy-filled life through obedience to God, we do not fear the judgment of the Lord. Ezekiel 36 says, in verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, that's the heart that we need. We don't need our heart that we, are, that we have uh, naturally, and a heart that chooses ourselves. We need a new heart. And the prophet Ezekiel is speaking here of the one that is to come through Christ. Ephesians 1.18 says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. We need our hearts and our eyes to be changed. We need, we need to have Christ in our lives. And the only way we can, we can escape that judgment, when Solomon says that all the things in our lives are going to be brought under judgment, the only way we can, we can feel good about the actions we're taking, the only way we can be, be safe from the sins we've committed is, is if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus. And by doing so, we know that, that the, the judgment for our sins, the punishments that we all deserve, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you know that punishment has been taken by Jesus. Jesus has taken the wrath of God for your sin and for my sin. And so we can, we can live life in a way of knowing that we don't have to fear judgment. And we know we're accepted by God because, because not only did Jesus take our punishment of our sin, but he gave us his righteousness. And that truth allows us to, to, walk, to walk in the ways of our heart and through the sight of our eyes. And it allows us to enjoy life. It allows us to, to do the things that God has called us to do here. It allows us to enjoy every chapter of our lives, no matter what chapter you're in. No matter how hard it seems right now, we're able to enjoy those things because we can trust in Christ. We can trust that, that God is working his plans and his purposes, and we know that they are good. However, if you do read it in a, an earthly way, just, uh, just a very topical way, and you try to read this outside of, outside of God, outside of Jesus, then you may, you may try to do some of these things on your own. You, you can diversify your portfolio uh, without being a Christian. You can be thankful for, for having kids. You can enjoy life to some degree. There's some, some worldly enjoyment there. But when you live your life to, you walk in the ways of your heart, and your heart is not pure, your heart does not love Jesus, you've not repented of your sins, then that judgment is not going to fall to Jesus. That judgment is going to fall to you. 
So the reality is, is that if you, if you seek to do this on your own, then you're going to face the judgment on your own too. So the call here is, is, is to, if, if you are a Christian, is to, to enjoy the things that God has given you. Rejoice in the days that he has given you. Walk in a way that, that you understand that there are mysteries, there are disasters, but you can trust in God. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, then know that today is a day for that. So if you have, you know that you are a sinner, you know that you have sinned against a holy and righteous God, I ask you, and I, and I ask you to, to seek what Solomon is saying here and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this word. Lord, I, I, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that, that your ways are above our ways and that in the times of my life when I don't know the answers, I don't know why things are happening the way things are happening, I, I thank you that I can trust you. Lord, I, I pray that, um, that as we go from this place that, that we will uh, just seek to enjoy every aspect of our lives that you've given us, Lord. That we will, as we go home and as we are, maybe we're struggling with our kids, or we're struggling with our finances, or we're struggling with, with different areas, maybe it's work, pray we are able to see the things that you've given us as gifts. We're able to rejoice in the things you've given us. And I pray that we're able to use the things you've, you've given us for your glory. Lord, I pray that you are glorified in this place today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.